open it up. The title of the message is, It's Fundamental, It's Supreme, and It's Joy. Kids are dismissed. Kids are dismissed. Um, It's Fundamental, It's Supreme, It's Joy. So when I was preparing this message or when God was preparing this message through me, there was quite a few things that he threw on my heart. And uh, just I don't know how he kind of maneuvered certain things within this message and uh, the route that he took it took me on. Um, But it's been on my heart all week. If you if you follow me on Facebook, then you saw my post on happiness or joy or smiling. And um, so that's been on my heart this week. And God kind of maneuvered it in a new way, and he started taking me down a a route where I feel like you guys are going to leave here understanding that joy, it's fundamental, and it's supreme. And you're going to grasp something new about joy, I feel. When I was studying, I came across some, some old history of the United States, and I came across Abraham Lincoln and his address to our nation, to the to those fallen in battle, to those who were still in battle at the Gettysburg Address. And he started off by saying, four score and seven years ago, which was meaning 87 years from the time of that battle, they had another battle. A battle for freedom, a battle for independence. And it was then that the great Thomas Jefferson pinned down the words, all men are created equal and they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when I thought about Abraham Lincoln, I thought that he was always trying to remind us of his philosophy, his heart, his convictions. What we stood for as a nation. And at that Gettysburg Address, it seemed almost clear that it was at stake what we stood for. This nation under God was to have a new birth of freedom and that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people would not perish from the earth. A new birth of freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence were words Lincoln stuck by. And on July 8, 1776, way before Lincoln made that address, those words, the Declaration of Independence, was read publicly when we became our own nation. And when those words, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, were read publicly, they sounded the liberty bell. And they rang it. And they rang it, and it was heard for miles A new birth of freedom, of life, of pursuit, of happiness. That bell was sounded with purpose. And then Lincoln comes along and he finds a new reason to ring that bell. A new purpose. I think that bell is iconic for a few things. Iconic because of its purpose. It was rang for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Abraham Lincoln stood for it. And then, here again, I think it's iconic for the way the 
Liberty Bell looks, that crack right in the middle of it. Church, I think we are that bell. We stood for something as a people under God, for life with the Lord, liberty in the Lord, and for a sweet, sweet joy in the Lord. But I think our bell became cracked and life is at stake. Liberties are taken for granted and our joy has been lost and the pursuit of happiness has become our primary purpose. The pursuit of happiness has become our primary purpose. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's, it's okay to pursue happiness, I thought. I thought that was okay. Well, we're going to talk about definitions of joy, of, of happiness, and what that looks like. But one, purpose, one person said this about having a purpose of pursuing happiness. He said, happiness in this world, when it comes, comes incidentally. Make it the object of pursuit, and it leads us on a wild goose chase. And it's never attained. Follow some other object and very possibly we may find that we have caught happiness without dreaming of it. But likely enough, it is gone for the moment we say to ourselves, here it is. Like the chest of gold that treasure seekers find. Happiness is a wild goose chase. Benjamin Franklin, upon the Constitution, said, The Constitution only gives the people the right to pursue happiness. You are the ones who have to catch it. Another one said, don't wait around for other people to be happy for you. Any happiness you get, you've got to make yourself. What is happiness is the question. How can I be happy? How can I live a life of happiness? We see much about the pursuit of it. Steve Jobs, everyone knows, wrote this. He said, it took us three years to build the next computer. If we'd given customers what they had wanted, we'd have built a computer they'd been happy with a year after we spoke to them. Not something they wanted now. So Steve Jobs illustrated that happiness seems almost fleeting. It's always changing. Bob Dylan said, at times in my life, the only place I have been happy is when I'm on stage. And so we see happiness is found possibly in certain things, maybe a certain status. Taylor Swift, she is a great singer, by the way. I listen to her all the time. I know you don't think I would, but I do listen to her. She said, I have this really high priority on happiness and finding something to be happy about. Doesn't know what it is, but I have this high priority to find it. And then lastly, Kurt Cobain said, if you die, you're completely happy and your soul somehow lives on. I'm not afraid of dying. Total peace after death. Becoming someone else is the best hope I've got. When I heard that, I was like, I was kind of struck. I was like, man, is is that what people kind of feel sometimes? That happiness is when I'm dead. It seems hopeless, right? I mean, it seems like life is almost with no purpose. That I can look forward to being someone else, possibly reincarnated, when I die. 
So what is happiness? On your notes, I provided a simple outline, but I'm hoping that you write things in between. Okay, I hope that you actually want to be here in the name of Jesus. So go ahead and get your pens out and be ready because I'm going to define some words that I think, some definitions I ran across, some things that I thought words were, and then we're going to kind of see, um, we're really going to see what the Bible has to say. So the first thing is this, what is happiness? A definition of happiness that I liked, um, that I seem, it seems so real to me is happiness is related to happenings. Attitudes, satisfaction, or delight based on present circumstances. It's not on the notes, so you don't have to write. Okay. <laughs> I see people going, where is it at? <laughs> happiness is related to happenings. If you just put that, you're good. It's based on my circumstances. My satisfaction, my attitude, my delights, they're based on where I'm at, what's going on around me. That's what I feel happiness is. Now, if we look at joy, and as we see, joy is something far more different in the Bible. Joy is a deep confidence. No matter what the difficulty or circumstances, all is well. It's a deep confidence. No matter what the circumstance, all is well. Joy is related to God, and it's ours for the taking in Christ. It's related to God, and it's ours for, the, ours for the taking in Christ. Joy is found in Christ. So do, do this for me. Go ahead and turn to Philippians 4, because that's going to be where we kind of start at, and then we're going to finish on the main text. So get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. I'm looking at people right now. Amen. All right. And turn to Philippians 4. That's where we're going to be at. This was a very convicting message for me. When I was preparing this, there were some things that I definitely, like all of us, oh, I could see I'm doing that right. But there were some things, if if you're honest with me as I was honest with myself, man, I, I need some work in this area. I need a lot of work in this area. So in Philippians chapter 4, We're going to see quite a few things about joy. But before we start, let me give you kind of an overview of of two things that I found here. In the book of Philippians, joy is mentioned 16 times. Now, for some of you think, oh, that's not that much. I mean, out of the whole book. Well, the book is only four chapters. Okay, so 16 times is actually quite a bit. So that tells you, I mean, if you look at some of the other books of the Bible that Paul had written, you know, Galatians... Ephesians and to these other churches, there's all kinds of things on theology, rebuke, who Christ is, who we are in Christ, our citizenship in heaven, our hope. And then we get to Philippians and he's talking about the secret of joy. 16 times he uses it. And then he uses the word or the name Christ 50 times. If you think about that, that tells you where he knows joy is found. 16 times in Christ. Joy is found in the Lord. And we're going to see why this is important to us. Philippians 4, and I just want you to go ahead and turn to verse 4. And then I want you to jump to verse 10 after I read 4. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And then verse 10, 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have, no, you have had no opportunity to show it. I rejoice in the Lord. So we see just the very pivotal purpose summed up in this last chapter by Paul where he is rejoiced, where his joy comes from. It comes from in the Lord. Joy is found in Christ. That's much different from where our world says joy is found. See, when I'm driving this ship that I'm in, when everyone else is driving the ship that I'm in, driving my life, it is as if happiness or my joy comes from different things. Comes from happenings, comes from circumstances, comes from things. And so I picked five, I think it was five, one, two, three, four things with a wild card, which is our fifth thing, of where I think our joy comes from when the world or those around us is driving our lives. And that is on your outline. So when I'm driving, when people are driving, the first thing is what controls my joy is my money. What controls my joy is my money when I'm in charge. Whatever I can get, however much of it I can get, however much of it I can spend getting more things that I want, that's what controls my joy when I'm driving. When I'm driving my health, my provision, that's part of my joy. And we're going to see these things are very important, but when I'm driving they become very unimportant for specific reasons that we'll explain. My health. So um, if I look good, if I seem good, if my if status, I feel like I'm good, if I'm happy with who I am physically, then I'm happy. That's what, that's what my joy. If I feel like I'm ugly, if people tell me I'm ugly or in some way, shape, or form, be it physical, be it internal, then my joy is based off of that. Provisions, I need to have my basic needs, my water, my food, my house, all these things. And that's what helps me be joyful when I'm in charge, when I'm driving. My circumstances, if things are going well around me, whatever happens, I'm good. If I get in a car crash, I'm bad. If someone cuts me off on the freeway, I'm really bad. If my husband gets lost in the wilderness, oh, I'm really mad. Not that I have a husband, just saying. <laughs> talking about Alice over there and Pastor Mike. Um, but it's so circumstantial. Whatever happens in my life, that's what makes my joy. Either makes it or breaks it. Another one, and this is one of my favorites because this is where I struggle the most, is my relationships. People. So people. We become dependent upon one another. My husband is what makes me happy. Or my wife is what makes me happy. Or my best friend is what makes me happy. Or my kids, they make me crazy. Whatever the case may be, you know. Um, it's become dependent upon people, our joy. That's when we're driving. And the wild card is my God. So the reason why I put it at my, our wild card is because for some of us, it could be last. Which we're going to see shouldn't be. But for some of us, God can be last. Well, I'm happy. When I'm doing good with the Lord, that's when I know my joy is good. 
but it can be within any place. It could be money, health, and provision, then God. It could be money, then God. It can be circumstances, and then God. Relationships, then God. It could be wherever in that, that list. But that's how it is when we're driving. So however I want to focus my life and how it seems to me, wherever my joy comes from, whatever feels best to me, that's what I do. I want to focus on where it should be. So let's start with money. Number one, money shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I use his money. That's number one. Money shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I use his money. So a couple of things before I break that down for us. We see that that is in opposition with what the world says. Money feeds my joy, is what the world says. It helps me be more happier. God says it shouldn't dictate your joy. So, what else we see here is that it's not my money. It's His money. Every good thing comes from God. Every blessing is from Him. So what I do with it should have the purpose of what he wants me to do with it. And so money shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I use his money. Now, one of my favorite people in the Bible, because I can often relate with him in in many areas and is very wise, is Solomon. Solomon was the wisest, most magnificent of all the ancient kings. He wrote the book of Proverbs. We see him in Ecclesiastes. Uh, We see him all throughout First Kings, um, there's all kinds of cool stuff about this king. He tried the world's way of happiness for many years. He had the royal blood of his father, David. So here's a man, David, after the heart of God was his kind of his label. We saw some of his mistakes, but that was his label, a man after God's own heart. And then he has a son named Solomon. We see that. Vast amounts of gold and jewels. And actually in 1 Kings 10, 27 says that he made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. So here's this guy. He had it all. He had fleets of wives. He ate the most delicious foods. That's why I'm jealous. You know, he had been in the most elegant of places with the most distinguished people. He was acclaimed throughout the whole world because of his wisdom, his power, his wealth. According to the world standards, he should have been immeasurably happy. Yet he concluded his life was purposeless and empty. He said, vanity of all vanities. All is vanity. When advantage, what advantage does a man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Jesus came along and said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Money shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I use his money. One of my favorite stories in Luke chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. Luke chapter 1, or actually Luke chapter 21. 
verses 1 through 4. It's an awesome story. It's a story of this old woman. It says this, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people have their gifts out of their wealth, but she, she out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is amazing because this is very specific time, very specific people, very specific ways that this happened. I mean, if you put yourself in this situation that you're that fly on the wall who sees this going on, things are much different then. You see this group of people who are financially well off. They have their stuff together. Who actually can be kind of an idol for those who have less than. Walk into the church. God has blessed me. I'm doing good. Here's what I have to offer. Throws down a tithe, a gift for the church, for God. And they ring a bell. Yep, that's what I gave. I gave that much. And that's how they were. And then here comes this this woman, this widow, who moseys on into the church slowly but faithfully. Takes all that she has, those two coins. I imagine that she faithfully prayed to God as she put those in that, that bucket or whatever it was. And then just walked out faithfully knowing that God had her best interests at heart. That's much, much more radical than where we're at in this world. This woman knew that her joy was found in God. And because of that, it wasn't her money, it was his money. And she was remembering him. She was using it the way that he wanted to use it. I mean, if you think about it, if you turn to Acts 2, 3, if you want to read that on your own, when the church first started, first started, what they did is they gave to one another as they saw each other in need. They accepted Christ. They fell in love with Him. The Holy Spirit was just moving in miraculous ways, and they, they fell in love and they, with God and the teachings of the apostles, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and they, they grew in mighty numbers, and they gave to one another. They shared with one another. Oh, you need that? I have that. I don't need this. That's the kind of heart they had because they were moved by their joy in the Lord. And so that didn't, that's what dictated how they use his money. This is all God's and we're all here together. Let's do it. Let's live life. And in Philippians 4, where we kind of strayed from, we see Paul addressing the church of Philippi, talking to them and thanking them. I rejoice in the Lord because you've tried to help me here. You've been there for me. You've provided some needs for me. Now, it wasn't the needs that made me happy. I rejoiced because God made this happen. I rejoice in God because of you. There's just one story. At one particular point that I did get it right, there was this, there was this woman um, in Long Beach. So I was driving to see my Uncle John, and I had stopped to get gas. And I walked in, and I saw a woman standing out there, a homeless woman, and she was just kind of... She actually stood with 
with a weird countenance, and she kind of just looked straight. It's almost she was lost in nothingness, and, and she was just kind of had this hopeless stare in her eyes and just looking forward. She didn't ask me for anything. I walked in, and I don't know what it was. I call it the Holy Spirit. It's tugging on my heart. You, you can do something here. And as I came out, I folded up some money, and I gave it to her, and I said, here you go. And she said, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And then she looked down, and then she got excited. and She was just full of joy. Thank you. Bless you so much. God bless you. Uh, thank you so much. And she couldn't stop. It was almost like, hey, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it, you know. And she couldn't stop. At that one moment, I got it right. Because at that moment, I wasn't concerned, well, this is my money. I wasn't concerned with my logic, with my reason. Oh, she might spend it on this. Because it was at that moment that my joy was in the Lord, and that dictated the way I used the money. It becomes very different when Jesus is driving us in the ship that we're in. It becomes very different because then we can see our joy is in him and him alone. Secondly, health and provision shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should bring fulfillment in my health and provisions. Now, when I thought about this, again, I explained health, provision. I, I, I explained what that kind of means, the way I look at myself, the way I feel like I appear, the way other people tell me I appear. Um, when these people tell me, hey, you look good, you are good, you know, that makes me feel good. It's almost as if I rely on what other people think so that I can be joyful about myself. It's almost as if if I have my basic necessities, my food, my water, this and that, then I'm happy. I'm good. But strip that all away and my joy is compromised. And this shouldn't be. I think that our joy in the Lord should happen. And, I'm, and I don't want you to think I'm so radical that I'm saying that these things don't matter. Because you do need food. You know, you do need water. But... Think about it in perspective. Change your perception. You know, I always try and force myself. One of the things that the, the youth did a few, I'd say maybe a year ago, gathered money and they tried to, and they still donate money to this cause um, because we adopted a kid who's in Ecuador. And um, he lives in Ecuador and he's, you know, grounded in a church there and, he's, and it's with the program and, and, and the kids... Um, when they remember and when we kind of encourage them and remind them they're giving money, we're doing things for this kid. We send him gifts for his birthday or, or money for his family. But what I'm, we're, we're struck by his letters. Oh, I'm having fun. I was playing soccer. And this, and this kid lives in a shack. And so what our needs are are not really our needs, is what I'm saying. Change your perception a little bit. Think about that kid. Think about the less fortunate. And then it changes our whole ideal on health and provisions. What I think I need. When our joy is wrapped up in God, then He is enough. 
what he gives, we take, and hey, amen, thank you, Lord, and we use it, but it's because of our joy in the Lord that we're happy. It's not dictated on what we have, who we are, what we're doing, apart from Christ. Radically think about this. Teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When I think about this, me, because, you know, I'm just an an idiot, I think that, okay, Jesus said this like this. Hey, foxes have dens. Birds have nests. You can't stick with me, okay? I ain't got a place to sleep. You you sure you want to follow me? It's almost sarcastic if it's me because I'm more high and mighty. I think I've got it, you know? But if you even think about it in the loving way that Jesus probably did say it, the compassionate way that Jesus said it, it means all the more the same. Look, I am the Son of God, and I have trouble finding a place to sleep. Are you sure that your joy is really wrapped up in me? Or is it wrapped up in what I can do? That radically changes the way we think. Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, I have labored, I have toiled, I have often gone without sleep, I have known hunger and thirst, I've gone without food, I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure from my concern of all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led to sin and I do not inwardly burn? But if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Because it's in his weakness that you see the grace and power and love of God. In my weakness, your grace is sufficient. It's a lot different when Jesus is driving our ship. It's a lot different. Our joy is wrapped up in much more than things that pass away. Our joy is wrapped up in Him and Him alone. And that's what dictates how I use His money. That's what dictates how I have a fulfillment in who I am, what I have, because He is the sustainer, creator, and the giver of all good things. Thirdly, this is a no-brainer. Circumstances shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate how, how I handle those circumstances. Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Bible? Genesis 37 through 50. You have Joseph. And here's this guy sold into slavery by his brothers. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's imprisoned. But the Lord raised him up as somewhat of a prime minister of Egypt. I don't know about you, but his circumstances were horrible. And I didn't see a story, I didn't see a verse, I didn't see anything that indicated that here's a guy who was, that who'd hopelessly gave up on life and called it quits. And like, like the quotes we, we read earlier, he waited to die because it would be better for him to die than to live. That was his hope. That's where his joy rested. We saw a guy who was kind of faithful. Now God's grace was magnificent. But we saw a guy who was faithful. 
and his joy rested in God alone. I mean, after all those things, I mean, I would have called it quits at certain points here. Okay, I'm getting accused and I just got thrown into prison. You know what? I'm done. I'm going to run this jail. You know, like I would have been crazy, you know. But here this guy is. He's, God's got me. Circumstances ain't the best, but God's got me. Or Daniel shared last week. Here he is thrown into these den of lions to be killed off because of his refusal to stop having a kingdom-hearted prayer, kingdom-hearted life. And his life was spared. Why? Because nothing could stop his joy. My joy is in God. I pray to him three times a day. He is my everything. That's my joy. You cannot stop me. Okay, well, we'll throw you into the lion's den. And yet they could not stop him. They could not compromise his joy. And because of that, he was spared. And because of his joy, the king saw it. Wow, this guy's joy. This guy's, this guy's God is amazing. And the king converted. The king declared it in front of everybody. We're all going to worship Daniel's God. That's why I love this verse in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When I know who I'm working for and why I'm working, it changes my perception of, of what the world throws at me. It changes everything. It helps me understand the underlying truth of my joy in the Lord. That's why I turn to Philippians 4. If you were in Luke, go ahead and turn back to Philippians 4. If you never followed me, stay in Philippians 4. But uh, Philippians 4.11, it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and to know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every." In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. See the circumstances there? Ask yourself this. How do you respond to circumstances? With anger? With sadness? With fear? With doubt? Or with patience? Faith? With a joy in the Lord. It's a lot different when Jesus is driving our ship. When he's in control. Sixteen times joy. Think about that. You, You probably thought it wasn't that much joy. Have joy. Joy. Joy in the Lord. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Joy in the Lord. Have joy. Participate in the joy that I have. Church, you are my joy. Joy, 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 16 times. How do you respond? With joy? Joy in the Lord? I'm not saying, hey, things happen and they don't get you sad or troubled because the truth is we see many stories of people in the Bible who weren't well. Even Paul, he said, man, when you sin, I burn inside. It's, it's hard for me. 
because that's, I mean, you might, my love, the love of my life is Christ and what he's done through you, and I, to see you fail, it hurts me. But that didn't compromise his joy. It didn't compromise his purpose. Circumstances shouldn't dictate our joy. Our joy should dictate, our joy in the Lord should dictate how we handle those circumstances. So think about what possibly has been thrown your way and understand that this is an opportunity for me to demonstrate my joy in the Lord. Um, One of the things, let's just jump ahead because I ain't got time and Mark's got more muscles than me. He'll beat me down. So, all right. Number four, lastly, people shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I love people. People shouldn't dictate my joy. My joy in the Lord should dictate the way I love people. Turn to Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. This awesomely was a section of scripture that our youth had to or attempted to memorize at camp. This is what they were taught from each day, verse by verse. Um, And this talks a lot, a great deal about people. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, it says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not, actually skip to 23 or 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think the only way that you can have this type of mindset, heart set, life set with people is if your joy is right. How can you love your enemy if your joy is not in the Lord? If you understand that God had died not for you, but for everyone. Not just for you, but your enemy. It's much more different, and it changes the way we love people. Loving, letting someone compromise your joy says more about you than it does them. Then again, you run into people like Pastor Mike, and you might say otherwise. You know, he compromises my joy all the time. No, I'm kidding. But it says more about you than it does about the other person. We need to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We cannot let people shake our joy. Nothing can separate us from Christ and his love, his joy. The coolest verse that I thought about when I was going through the study was a verse that says, Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Like he was willing to go through hell because we were his joy. I don't know about you, but when I think about myself, I think, man, I am, why would he do that for me? This God of the universe, this Jesus Christ who says he loves everyone and he does, like why would he do it for all my ugliness apart from Christ and even with him? 
Like, I was way bad before I met Christ, but even when I met Christ, I'm nowhere near perfect. I'm still bad. I need work. And yet I'm his joy. And that's the beauty of his love and the love that he expects us to have is that when our joy is in him, we love people in a God-honoring way. One story, and I'll get off stage, Mark. One story. There's this guy. Some of you might have heard the story, read it. There's this guy. His name is Pastor Jeremiah Stepik. Anybody know the story yet? Everybody look at me? Nobody? Cool then. So here's this pastor, Jeremiah, transformed himself into a homeless person and went to the 10,000-member church that he was introduced as the past, uh, head pastor at, at his church one morning. He walked around his soon-to-be church for 30 minutes while, he was fi- while it was filling up with people for service. Only three out of the seven to 10,000 people said hello to him. He asked people for change to buy food. No one in the church gave him a change, any change. He went into the sanctuary to sit down in the front of the church and was asked by the ushers if he would actually sit in the back. He greeted people to be greeted back with stares and dirty looks, with people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and such, and when all was done, the elders went up, and they were excited to introduce their new pastor of the church to the congregation. We would like to introduce to you Pastor Jeremiah Stepik. The congregation looked around, clapping with joy and anticipation. And then the homeless man, sitting in the back, stood up and started walking down the aisle. Clapping stopped. All eyes were on this pastor. Walked up to the altar, took the microphone from the elders, who were in on this, by the way, and paused for a moment, and then he recited, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we see you, see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see the sick? Or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. After he recited this, he looked toward the congregation and told them what he experienced that morning. And many began to cry. He said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. The world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become a disciple? And then he dismissed the seven to 10,000 people church. See, their joy wasn't in the Lord. Because when they saw a person, they neglected to love him. When your joy is wrapped up and fascinated with God, then you love people. It dictates the way you love them.
You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The so what of today is where is your joy? Can people see your joy? Because if people are seeing your joy, then they're seeing your God. Let's pray. God, in your presence truly is a fullness of joy. Help us to have that joy. God, help us to be totally fascinated with you that when people look at our joy, when they look at our lives, our kingdom hearts, that they would only see you, Father. It changes our whole perception of life. It changes our life's reality when you are the one driving our ship, God. Our money, our health, our provisions, circumstances, relationships. God, you're the wild card. God, you're the wild card. And we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and close your eyes for a moment. Maybe this has been an eye-opener for you and you've been thinking, gosh, my joy really hasn't been in the Lord. It has been my happiness that I've been pursuing. My chief goal has always been to be happy. But God, I want to be joyful. I want to have a joy that rests solely in you. that's you and you're that person and you really want your joy to rest solely on God, you might have given your life to him a long time ago and maybe this is that moment where you say, hey, I really want to give my life to him for the first time. I want him to consume my joy. Whatever the case may be, if your joy needs to be fixated on the cross, on Jesus Christ, with your eyes closed, raise your hand. Father, I pray for all these individuals in here. I pray for myself. I pray for the worship team. Father God, I pray for our church in the Philippines, and I ask that you bless us, God. But more importantly, God, that you would convict. God, that you would move in a mighty way. You would allow our joy to solely rest in you because that's when it is at its fullness. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, be with us, consume us, and drive our ship in this life. It's not our money, it's yours. We are not our own. You bought us with a price. Father God, circumstances come and go, but the joy of the Lord lasts forever. You conquered death and its sting. Be with us on this day and help us to be joyful. As we sing these worship songs, we sing them with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. 
Seeking you as a precious jewel Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool You are my all in all You are my strength when